Hey, welcome to another episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl, Stephanie Hardy. Thank you so much for listening so far. And if this is your first episode ever listening, like, hey, welcome to this world of mine. Um, on the show this time, we're going to be discussing news and gossipish because there's been a lot to take place in the past um, week and really the past couple of weeks because we've been sort of back to back with SummerSlam, Payback, NXT TakeOver 30, all the weekly shows in between all those things. And of course, you have all the shows like the Raw Talk, Talking Smack. There's been so much going on lately and it's just been going really fast. So I just hope that I can continue to sort of give you and keep you abreast of what's going on and give you all the information that you might want and need. So in this episode, I'm going to give you your regular news and gossip-ish. And then with this episode, I'm going to do a special tribute to Chadwick Boseman who um, passed last Friday and... I just want to use my platform to say what I want to say because I'm not only just a wrestling fan, I'm also a Marvel superhero fan and just a fan of great art in terms of movies. So I really wanted to pay tribute to him because he did mean a lot to me personally. Um, and I want to, and I'm going to give you your weekly recap of all of the shows. So sit back, relax, and listen to this episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl Stephanie Hardy. Okay, so now we're here on news and gossipish. And first, I want to discuss something that kind of warmed my heart a bit to see this week. And that was the Bella Twins on the cover of People Magazine with the exclusive first photos of their baby boys. Um, Nikki was posed with Mateo Artem Artemovich, and Brie was posed with Buddy Dessert. And both of these babies were born a day apart. I believe Nikki's was probably born on July the 31st. And, um, Breeze was born on August the 1st. So it's some major twinning going on, but they seem like they were very in love with their new babies. They're very happy. So congratulations to the both of them and for getting on the cover of People Magazine and being, you know, all exclusive with their celebrity stuff and all of the above. Um, that was really cool to see. Um, I actually saw it at the store. <laughs> so I thought that was like, oh, snap, look at them. They're on the cover. So that was great. Also in the news, the word jabroni had been added by the dictionary.com. So the word that was coined by a WWE Hall of Famer, um, the Iron Sheik, but then popularized by The Rock, was added with so many great entries to dictionary.com. And they included words from pop culture such as GOAT, which is an acronym for greatest of all time, like in as in Ric Flair, Sasha Banks, and SWOLE, as in, you know, Big SWOLE from AEW. And they also... Um, Cap they also put a phrase in there, um, which was emotional support animal, which was really good. So they've been adding lots of words and lots of acronyms that people use on a regular basis on social media and lots of different slang words that people use and stuff. So they also decided to use jabroni. And it seems like everything the rock does to a certain degree, just it's like everything he touches turns to gold. So that was really cool to see that, that one day will probably be in a dictionary for our kids. Or, you know, just on the website, because who even knows, you know, if by the time all of us have kids or whatever, dictionaries will still be printed or used. So, hey, 
you'll see Jabroni there because SmackDown is also there as well. So that was really cool. Also in the news, Brock Lesnar became a free agent after his WWE contract expired. I thought this was very interesting because the way I found out about this was on Facebook. Um, one of the groups that I follow shared a screenshot of WWEshop.com and it showed that all of his merchandise was removed off the website and I thought that was very interesting I was like what's going on here and so I had even looked him up on the website and they had like a couple of things to pop up but it wasn't like a whole lot that would have popped up like say for instance for your average WWE superstar so they released the, the um statement that they that they couldn't reach an agreement with his contract so now he's just a free agent like there have been rumors and rumblings going on that maybe he could be thinking about going to AEW, but then a lot of people say that about a lot of people who have left WWE. So that's not necessarily uh, a new rumor. So I don't know about that. There are rumblings that he might go back to MMA. Like who even knows at this point? But I did find it kind of telling that even in the storyline that's going on a SmackDown right now, you have his longtime advocate, Paul Heyman, walking around with Roman Reigns as the current universal champion as of this week. So I thought it was really interesting how that happened and then how also Paul Heyman last night um, on SmackDown was discussing how he got, you know, left behind and stuff like that. So now he's with Roman Reigns. So well, I guess we're just going to wish the best for Brock Lesnar and whatever he decides to do. Um, also in the news, we had the unfortunate leap. Um, the unfortunate leaving of Mar Ronaldo, like he and WWE came to an agreement, came to like an amicable um, split. So it wasn't over anything negative. And from what I read, it had to do with with him sort of taking care of himself and his mother. And it's such a shame because he was so good at commentating. Like he had a mixture of education and passion that was just so relatable to me as a fan and then not only did he have passion and education with the business he would also tie in lots of pop culture references because I'll never forget a couple weeks ago he made reference to the WAP song by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion like he was always listening to music and always had his fingers on the pulse of everything that was going on with pop culture and to add all of that in with wrestling just made it seem more relevant seem a whole lot more you know relevant you know to the times and it's just and and it's just a shame that they lost, you know, someone who was just so good at bringing wrestling to life the way that he was like it was always my dream to ever to always hear him, you know, like call a WrestleMania or something like that, because his voice and everything he was set to bring would have just meant everything. You know, if you know, once NXT was able to participate in WrestleMania on the biggest, grander scale that WrestleMania is normally on. Like, it just would have been amazing. But, you know, I guess he has to do what's best for himself. And I wish him the best in all his endeavors. And I'm going to miss him saying Mamma Mia. I'm going to miss him freaking out and popping like the rest of us do. And I'm going to miss his, you know, educational moments in wrestling. Because the way that he would talk about wrestling moves and where they came from and who originated it and all that other stuff used to just give me all kinds of life. And his vocabulary used to give me all kinds of life, too. But here's hoping that one day we'll still, we'll still hear him because he would also commentate with boxing too. So here's hoping we'll still hear him. And then WWE also said goodbye to Renee Young after nine years 
with the company. They gave her a party from what I heard from Corey Graves on his podcast till like four in the morning. And they did a farewell to her on SummerSlam's pre-show. And it's sad. I like I really hated to see her go because she had a lot of personality and electricity to her, you know, announcing style because she was the first female announcer on Monday Night Raw. You know, she was also a um, tentpole host for WWE Backstage when it was on television on the regular. And then she had her own network show called Unfiltered. You know, like she just had amazing broadcasting skills and just... And she was also, and she's also married to um, John Moxley, aka Dean Ambrose. Now, um, so here's hoping that she goes off and does, you know, amazing things. But you know, people like her sort of open doors for people like um, Kayla Braxton and um, people who are there now, like Mackenzie and Sarah Schreiber, and just so many different women who are bro- who are broadcasters backstage now. So. I guess now Charlie Caruso and Kayla Braxton are, ma- are mainly leading the charge in that. And that's a great thing because I can remember a long time ago how they would use women who could be also wrestlers and have them double as um, broadcasters and they weren't necessarily like taken fully as seriously. So now we're reaching a point where the female broadcasters are. And I believe Renee Young is definitely a part of that um, evolution. And I'm grateful for her and everything that she has done. Also, um, we have the release of Akam and Razar from the Authors of Pain. Yesterday, WWE released a statement saying that they had been, you know, a re- released and they hadn't been seen on television since March because of nagging injuries from one of the members. And it's such a shame that they were never really, you know, given the opportunity to be their absolute best in the tag team division because, in my opinion, When it comes to tag teams in WWE, they have a tendency, you know, even though they're getting better at it now, they used to have a tendency in more recent years of putting over tag teams um, made up of people who were just singles wrestlers and then just they just randomly smashed them together and they sort of gave them more of a run as opposed to actual people who came in as tag teams, you know, themselves and you know, and gave them an opportunity to sort of give tag team wrestling more of a boost. And if you look at the comparisons in the last few years between NXT and their tag division and the main rosters in their tag division with the occasional matches between the Usos and the New Day, they really weren't doing that much with them. So I was thinking that once the Authors of Pain were brought up, they would give them more to do. But they but then they were also brought up without Paul Ellering who was their manager in NXT and he was definitely a, the great mouthpiece for them and i feel like once they got brought up to the main roster they sort of lost that edge and they just weren't allowed to do as much you know going forward and it sucks that that's how it had to be because they really could have gone on to be champions but it just you know it just really didn't come to fruition that way so here's hoping that they find their groove again in wrestling and it's a shame that some of the best work that they ever did was just in nxt because they were the third longest um reigning nxt tag team champions of all time and they won the dusty Rhodes tag team classic so here's hoping that they're able to do more 
And also on a sad note, um, Bullet Bob Armstrong um, passed away as well. And something that I didn't know going um, going into this story was the fact that um, Road Dog Jesse James um, was his son. I didn't know that going forward. And to hear my dad sort of talk about him, my dad said that um, he actually saw Bullet Barb Armstrong wrestle at the Batwell Auditorium. For those who are from Birmingham, Alabama, that that is a historic auditorium in our downtown area where wrestling used to take place a whole lot. So there's some wrestling. There's some wrestling history here. And he was one of those people who would come down and wrestle there. And he is a Hall of Famer. And I wish nothing but good things and good vibes for his family going forward and dealing with this loss and they did pay tribute to him with a tribute card at the beginning of raw smackdown and nxt this week so i just well not smackdown but just raw and nxt so we just wish the very best for his family going forward and now that's the end of the news and gossipish segment and now we're going to go to our special story segment where I pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman. All right, so I know that this is normally a wrestling podcast that's specifically just about that. But I wanted to use my platform as a content creator of color to discuss the meaning of Chadwick Boseman to me personally as a person who loves different things along with wrestling I also love superhero stuff and I love movies and I wanted to discuss what he meant to me as a um creator but as a creator of content and also as just a black woman in general um when I got word that he passed away last Friday I was I had actually just gotten finished watching Smackdown and I sat down to the table to eat and my dad showed me the story and I was just like every inch of me wanted it to be a lie and I just kept staring at the screen and then I picked up my phone and googled it you know just to see what it was and quite honestly it really was true that he had passed and I spent the last couple of hours just in shock and crying and I had broke down and cried about it like I was just so distraught with it because I wasn't honestly no one was expecting that at all um because for all we had known you know we had only seen him healthy until like maybe a couple months ago where he had you know shared a picture of him you know or, or video of him where he was talking about something and his weight had gone down. But honestly, when I had saw him in that video, I just thought he had just lost the weight for a role or something. Because you know how sometimes you have method actors who just go all out whenever they have a role and then they just transform themselves. Like say, for instance, like a Joaquin Phoenix or a Jared Leto type or a Heath Ledger type, you know, and they just go all in for a role. I thought that was what Chadwick was doing. So never did I think, oh, well, there's something wrong with him or he's ugly or something like that like some people did do on social media like I thought he was just preparing for a role and as it turns out he had been struggling with something behind closed doors that only a few people knew about but I'll get into that later because I want to discuss 
what he meant to me um, in the last couple of years and just pay tribute to his talent. Now, the first thing I ever saw him in was 42 when he played Jackie Robinson. Now, mind you, I wasn't alive during the time of which Jackie Robinson was, you know, being an amazing baseball player and opening doors and breaking glass ceilings for African-American um, players in the MLB. But in learning about him in school and stuff, it's just, and with all the clips and stuff that I had seen of him, you know, in history class and such, um, Chadwick Boseman did an excellent job in embodying Jackie Robinson and his spirit and his legacy. And it was so good because so because it, it resonated so much so that it led to um, Major League Baseball, you know, paying, I guess, I don't know how long they had been doing it, but they, it led to them paying, you know, more tribute to him on Jackie Robinson Day. And which normally took place in April. And that's where they basically wear those jerseys with the number 42 on them. And they had pushed it down this year all the way down to August. But, you know, and tragically, as it turns out, um, Chadwick had passed on Jackie Robinson Day. But he embodied the grace and the strength that it took to play that role. And he did such a good job. And... Along with that, he went on to play James Brown in Get On Up. And I really, and me and my boyfriend went to see that movie, but a magical story with that is the fact that I guess Chadwick Boseman did so good in the film. He became James Brown so well that the audience we had seen the movie with, they were like transported back in, back in time, you know, I guess to when they were young and they were singing and dancing, you know, along with every song and every you know thing up until the end of the movie and he transformed and turned into James Brown with the dancing the singing even the talking because I'll never forget how my boyfriend was always making that quote from that movie where Chad was like you gonna make me come out myself and da 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 da, da. And, <laughs> and he would always quote that all the time because that's just how good Chadwick did you know he studied you can tell he really do like dove really deep into that role and he just did so good and what's so funny is when when he passed Janelle Monet um posted and talked about how they would do James Brown dance-offs to see who could actually do a better James Brown impersonation with dancing and can you imagine how magical that would be to see Janelle and Chadwick dance off and it's just Chad and it's just like Chadwick's not even really like wasn't even like a singer you know, or performer like that, <clears throat> but Janelle is. So can you even imagine that in your head? <laughs> like that would be amazing. And then um, where I became more attached to him was his role in Black Panther and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Cause the first, the cause when uh, around the time Captain America Civil War came out I wasn't really into the Marvel movies fully like I used to have been because I was in college and there really wasn't that much I could do in terms of going to the movies that much because I was always busy but I came home and for a break and my boyfriend was like look you gotta watch Civil War because there's something in it that you would like and I wasn't sure about it but I watched it anyway and I saw the scene in Civil War where T'Challa was talking to T'Chaka, and which was 
um, T'Challa's dad, and they were speaking to each other in South African language. And it spoke to something within me that I hadn't, um, it was, it was, it spoke to something inside of me that was really deep because I had actually traveled to Ghana, West Africa a couple of years before, um, Civil War came out. And the experience that I had with that, um, African country was just so beautiful because I, I got to see, you know, myself in a way that in a way that's just that's drastically different from how you are born to see yourself in the United States. It's like I got to see people who look like me on currency. I got to see people who look like me in places of power, you know, and be the majority. I got to see um visions of myself on billboards you know everywhere on a constant and on products like milk and stuff like that like I got to dance with and congregate with people in villages and stuff like that and I even got to visit the Asante region in Ghana which is where Kofi Kingston um a WWE superstar was born um and he traveled back there you know when he won the WWE um championship but that's neither here nor there um and so the experience that I had over the past, over that month at a time with study abroad just changed my life for the better. And it connected me to a part of my ancestry um, and to a part of my identity that I just wasn't sure was going to happen until maybe I had gotten older. Like I went, I had, I traveled to Ghana when I was about 20 years old. And so once I saw that scene in Captain America Civil War, and he was speaking to his father in an African accent. It just meant everything to me because it spoke to a part of myself that I really missed. And ever since I saw that movie, I was just attached to the Black Panther character and attached to what Chadwick Boseman brought to that role. And especially what he brought to the role in the standalone film. That film did so much for African African and African American people at that time. It gave us so much joy. It gave us an image of black people without having us look like victims and other negative stereotypes that we have seen in the media over and over again. It made us look powerful and standing in our beauty and our gifts and our spiritualities and in everything else it brought it helped us to have different you know conversations about the gaps between Africans and African Americans and why that's there it had us you know talking about whether or not Killmonger played by Michael B Jordan or T'Challa was right like it gave us so much and it even gave me the opportunity to be featured in an article um, on Vice News where I talked about what Black Panther meant to me and at its deepest form what Black Panther represented to me was the unapologetic African identity that wasn't tarnished by colonization. And it and it's just like that's just kind of what it represented to me in a very in a very strong way. Like when that movie came out or when it was coming out, I bought a whole new African outfit from an African store here in Birmingham because we have plenty of them. Um, I went and bought like new shoes and got my hair and had my hair done my, with my natural fro and I wore jewelry that I had bought in Ghana to the to to the movie and everything and I was and 
I don't care like that I went that far. And I'm pretty sure there are other people who with all kinds of pictures on social media who went that far to wear outfits and costumes, you know, for their kids and all of the above who don't feel bad about going that far either because this was a celebration of us. And Chadwick brought so much beauty and so much grace and so much strength and groundedness to T'Challa as a role. And even in the moments where T'Challa had seemingly, you know, failed and not done his best as, you know, a prince transitioning to king status, he still was able to have grace, you know, within that and still, you know, ask for help, you know, and go into battle and value the women in his life and all of the above. Like that was just beautiful. All of it was just excellent. But, and then of course, they talked about what Black Panther 2 was going to represent and how Chadwick, you know, had went on to do um, 21 Bridges. And then he also went on to also be in Avengers Infinity War. And then he disappeared, you know, and dissipated because Thanos was on that mess. And then um, he came back as the first pe- as the first person out of the portal, along with Okoye, played by Denai Guerrero and Shuri, played by Letitia Wright. You know, they came out of the portals first in Avengers Endgame. And what's so funny is my boyfriend was like, he better be the first one to come out of those portals. After all the money that Black Panther made Marvel, he better be first. And I thought that was funny. But I almost cheered. Like, I literally almost cheered because he came out. And then the army came out. They were all, you bomb And I was just like, yes! But, um... <laughs> but, um... Just... And then outside of acting, you can see that he was just a beautiful person. Like, watching him, you know congregate with fans of Black Panther especially on that clip from the Jimmy Fallon um tonight show where he met those families and those people who were talking about what Black Panther meant to them you know saying thank you and stuff and then he came out of the curtain to surprise them and hug them like he never thought that he was above anybody as a movie star like he was just still you know Chad from South Carolina who just so happened to come into some success but he didn't let that change who he was at the car at the core of his heart and then and then he was also visiting kids you know who was suffering you know with you know cancer and it's so sad that now you know he was doing that and bringing toys to the children he was doing all kinds of work with with saint jude's he did a speech for howard university's graduation because that's where he graduated from and just and I definitely recommend you watch that speech because it where he talks about purpose and knowing, you know, what what you are put here to do and actually being relentless about pursuing it. It's just amazing. But it's just with all the good that this man had done, you see that everything that he had chose to do was purposeful and he wanted to portray his people in the best light because he loved us so much. So often, sometimes you have people who get you. Sometimes you have black people who get famous, you know, who either remain humble and remain grounded or you have your others who have a tendency to make to let it change them. And he didn't let the fame change him at all. And he was still trying to do all this good in the world. And he portrayed all of these roles that portray black people in a purposeful light, even as he was suffering. In the statement, they said he had stage three colon cancer that he was diagnosed with in 2016. 
which means between 2016 and up until this point, he was still working while this was going on because of all the surgeries and the chemotherapies, because he was determined to beat this thing. And then it progressed to stage four. And it's just, it's just so, it's so heartbreaking that he was suffering as he was giving us all of this art like he didn't have to do any of it he didn't have to give us the moments of black panther like he didn't have to give us you know get on up he didn't have to give us 21 bridges he didn't have to give us marshall like he didn't have to give us any of that but he but he wanted to because he wanted to give us something that we could be proud of as black men and black women and he wanted to teach us something like he wanted to teach us the worth that we have as artists and even just as people in general and just teaching us not to just take any old thing and to just take just any, you know, opportunities just because you're lucky to get it. Like, no, he was teaching us to be purposeful, to know who we are and how and let that inform what we go towards. And God bless him. His whole life just embodied that and he didn't have to do any of it he could have just sat down and chilled somewhere and never really acted again because he needed to heal himself from cancer like cancer is not that that disease does not play it does not play at all and but he still chose to give us all of that like I'll always be grateful for the moments that he gave and what you know and I think a lot of us can get caught up in all of the fall to all of, oh, you know, there won't be a like the future of Black Panther 2 and all this other stuff about how he kept stuff a secret and you need to watch your circle and all this other stuff. But at the core, we lost a soul. Do not forget that Chadwick Boseman was a human and a soul walking amongst us on this earth who was in touch with his higher power, who gave us beauty from his ashes. And let's not ever forget that. Um, we need to value the people in our lives because you just never know exactly what they're going through. We need to uplift each other through this time and keep the family uplifted with good vibes and um, prayers or whatever it is that you do. Because their lives are probably turned upside down right now and honestly it was really none of our business that he was struggling and I think the part that made me mourn the most was just the idea that no one knew and in my own life that's manifested for me where someone close to me had passed and I had no clue that anything was wrong so I think Honestly, it really was none of our business, but all I can do is just thank our higher power, you know, that he was placed here for the season of which he was placed here and just thank him for his purposeful acting and thank him for the joy that he brought us and just be grateful for life and everything that it has to bring because sometimes life isn't fair and I know now in 2020 the popular thing to do is to just say oh throw the whole year away and it's so bad and all of the above but as you're looking at all the things that have taken place for the negative you know and as you're fighting for so many different things 
please remember to take some time to think about the joys that you have. Think about the blessings that you have. Because even after this happened last Friday, during this week, I was even struggling with how I was supposed to celebrate my birthday yesterday. But I did. And once I was able to get all that other stuff out of the way and focus on what I currently have and what I'm blessed with right now, especially another year of life, it's just you just have to take advantage of every shred of life that you're given. And if you know what you were placed on this earth to do, whether it be one thing, two things, three things or four things, pursue it and do it with a purpose. Don't second guess yourself. Um go for it like and celebrate yourself along the way like mentally I was having a party for myself in my head yesterday because to be 27 years old and to see all the stuff that I've seen and gone through all the stuff that I've gone through there's just so much that I've gone through in my own life to where I'm just so grateful that I've made it out on the other side and seen the light through it and it's only going to get better and it's only going to get greater. And I'm just so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful for Chadwick and his light and for what he and the inspiration that he gave to us and for the inspiration that he gave to me. And on that note, I'll just say Wakanda forever. Chadwick forever. Chadwick Bozeman, we love you. I love you. Um, may you rest with the angels now and with the ancestors now. And... Thank you for your light. All right. So we're going to switch gears and we're going to go to our weekly recap starting with Monday Night Raw. And of course, we're going to start with our women's division. My girls, my girls, my girls, my girls this week. Lord, I can't wait to get into it. Um, so Oscar <laughs> interrupted Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax as they were fussing over, you know, who was most responsible for them winning the women's tag team titles at Payback um this past Sunday. They did beat Bailey and Sasha Banks, so we're gonna get into that later. Um, <laughs> for the women's tag team titles. And now Asuka is searching for a new opponent for her Raw Women's Championship. So as she was, you know, wanting to know who her next challenger was for Clash of Champions, she demanded that a champ that a challenger come out. And Mickey James walked out and she was talking about how she wanted to be next in line for that title, you know, seeing as she has something to prove and she's an OG and she wants to do more. So as she was saying this, the thorns in her side, Lana and Natalia came out and talk, and they were all talking about how they're the boat and how Natalia actually deserves another opportunity for a title, even though, I mean, even though, like, not over Mickey because Mickey's been gone for like a year, but whatever. Um, they keep trying to push this narrative that Natalia is a leader in the locker room because of her relevancy on social media and everything. And it's really like they're leaning into this whole Natalia heel. Um, I'm going to be a superstar um, because I'm relevant on TikTok and stuff like that. And it's just kind of like, ma'am, stop it. You're kind of old. But anyway, um, <laughs> then after that, there was a brawl that took place between them and it left Oscar and Mickey standing tall. So this led to Mickey um, having a match with Lana 
And it was kind of interesting seeing Lana wrestle because we hadn't really seen her wrestle in so long. Like the last time we had seen her like try and wrestle, Rusev, her husband was still with the company. So it was just kind of like, okay, well, she finna fight. And she held her own for a little bit, but against someone like Mickey James who has like years of experience in the ring, it wasn't really gonna last that long. So she actually planted Lana with a Mick kick for the win. And Oscar made it clear on commentary that she wanted Mickey James to be her next um, challenger. So that's going to be interesting because when they fought each other in NXT a couple years ago, when Mickey made her um, return to WWE, that match was nothing short of brilliant. This was while Oscar was on her dominant run as an undefeated champion in NXT. So we'll see how this goes, but I'm very excited to see them fight each other. Now, on the other end, for the women... You had a tag team match between the Iconics and the Riot Squad um, to become number one contenders for the women's tag team titles. And the loser of that match would have to disband and not be a tag team anymore. I felt like, at first I felt like that was a little bit unnecessary because I, deep down inside, I didn't want the Iconics to break up. Because I thought for sure, you know, maybe they would win the match considering they lost their match at Payback in the pre-show um, against Liv and... Um, ruby but as it turns out you know as they fought in this match you know the closer it, it started getting to where i almost thought that maybe the riot squad would lose but they actually turned it around and won the match so now they are the number one contenders for the women's tag team titles and the iconics are breaking up and it was so sad to see them cry in the middle of the ring and be so emotional even after their match where they were interviewed. It's just they were still they were still visibly shook by it because of the fact that they when they started in WWE together in NXT, you know, they were best friends in real life. Like they came from Australia together, you know, for this, you know, career and they made their dreams come true. They won the tag titles at WrestleMania, but that run wasn't really taken as seriously. So I was hoping if they were going to come back and do another run with the tag titles it was going to be more substantial but i guess now what i guess now what the plan is is to break them up so they can have their own um singles career and definitely i'm in, i'm intrigued to see peyton royce and what her singles career might you know bring because she's actually one of the best out of that entire tag team and that's no shade to billy Kay, but there's a lot that i really feel like peyton royce has to um give as a singles competitor so I wish them both the best, but it did kind of suck to watch them break up because even though they were a heel tag team, they were still very entertaining and very funny. And I liked their theme songs and their whole iconic um, pose. And I'm definitely going to miss that. So I guess now more than ever, I need to go ahead and buy that iconic shirt like I keep telling myself I'm going to get but never do somehow. Um, <laughs> also with the women, you had Demi um, from Bachelor in Paradise who is becoming more and more of a mainstay on Raw television because at first I was wondering why she was there, but it seems like she really wants to be there because she might actually fully be a wrestling fan and she is fascinated with it when she's sitting out there watching those matches. And she's sort of in this love triangle between Angel Garza, who really needs to go back with Charlie, but we're not we're not on that right now. Um, and Ivar from <laughs> the Viking Raiders. And... In the midst of this, there's Retribution who came out and beat up um, Andrade and Zelina Vega. But then Angel Garza, you know, took Demi and ran backstage. But then Retribution found him backstage and he wound up running and leaving Demi. So she wound up running away by herself. So I'm just hoping that, you know, she realizes, you know, the writing on the wall and realizes that Ivar is the best for her. Um, because Angel 
when you're with a dude, you know, your dude has to, you know, be able to protect you from danger. And he didn't do a good job of that. So, <laughs> so that's pretty much what's going on with the women. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be a point of contention between him and Andrade. So they need to break up anyway. But that's pretty much what's going on with the women on Raw. Now to the men, we had to start the show they announced that there were going to be a series of matches to determine the number one contender to the WWE Championship currently held by Drew McIntyre. And the first match was Keith Lee versus Dolph Ziggler. And this match was really, really good. Now, of course, it started with with um, Randy Orton mocking Drew McIntyre while saying he shouldn't be in the tournament. You know, he was saying that he shouldn't be in the tournament because he feels like he's... um he should be number one contender and he was sounding like he was entitled because and what's so funny is he was saying everybody calls me entitled but then he turned around and said well i'm entitled to be number one contender i'm just like so how are you gonna sit, sit up and say in the same promo that everybody calls you and thinks that you're entitled but then talk about how you're entitled to another opportunity when you lost the last time but anyway um Keith Lee came out there and reminded him that he lost to him at payback clean too, which was really cool. Like that was so cool. I was just like, yes, Keith Lee, make your mark. And then Dolph Ziggler came out and ambushed Keith Lee as um, Randy Orton ran away. But in this match though, you kind of saw Dolph Ziggler, you know, giving his very best to hold Keith Lee down. But, you know, and he was trying to wear him down with sleeper holes and stuff. But even the zigzag, which is normally one of his best, you know, tricks out of the bag, didn't even work on um, Keith. And Keith planted him with the spirit bomb for the win. So now he qualified to be in the triple threat match that was later on that night. And I was glad to see that Dolph Ziggler was able to put over Keith Lee because as much as I love Dolph Ziggler, you know, he's had all of his opportunities in the sun, even though he has been on the struggle bus a little bit with how, you know, he's been booked in terms of his opportunities in the sun. It's good to see that now he's sort of putting people over um, now in terms of new talent. So congrats to Keith Lee for that. Um, also in the men's division, you had another <laughs> um, qualifier between Randy Orton and Kevin Owens. And Randy Orton, earlier in the night, um, while Charlie Caruso was talking backstage, um, she was talking about Aleister Black. And Aleister Black and Kevin Owens had a segment last week where they were where he was talking to him about, you know, what happened to his eye and how he was being tortured, you know, in terms of the Seth Rollins feud that he had. And um, Randy Orton, while Charlie was talking about this, Randy Orton slicked out of Aleister Black's um, dark locker room and stuff, which left us to wonder what in the world was going on and what did they talk about. And Orton, so after Orton did all this, um, Aleister Black attacked Kevin Owens from behind as he was about to do his entrance into the ring. And then Kevin Owens took a black mask and then he quit, but then he refused to quit his match with Randy Orton. He came, went out there and tried to fight as hard as he could, even after being attacked. But then really all that happened was the fact that Randy Orton hit his RKO and wound up winning and qualifying for that, um, for that triple threat match later on in the night. And it made me kind of upset because I was just like, Kevin Owens deserves a little bit better than that now. But I'm not going to be too angry because what this does is, is it sets up if Randy Orton were to go on, you know, and sort of 
like lose his qualifying match this time he would have an ongoing feud with kevin owens or kevin owens would also have an ongoing feud with alistair black or have a feud with both of them you know so it's just there was so much that could have happened with that so it was still sad though because kevin owens is really good so it's just kind of sad to see him get beat in like quick order like that but you know he got beat up and they were telling a story so i get it also with the man you had bobby lashley shelton benjamin mvp aka the hurt business versus cedric and the viking raiders now demi was back there and gave ivar a good luck kiss and told cedric that he should be proud of himself for turning down the hurt business because here lately the hurt business have been trying to recruit it seems like every other black guy <laughs> who's not doing anything of note to them anyway and they've been trying real hard to recruit cedric alexander and even low-key trying to um, recruit maybe even ricochet but they keep saying no and that's something that you can appreciate you know don't join a group if you feel like that's not for you but MVP basically introduced Bobby Lashley, who is now the new United States champion after beating Apollo Crews at Payback, um, which made me, me kind of sad. But then again, their ongoing feud isn't going to end because after that match happened at Payback, he went on to attack and try to beat them up some more. So Apollo wants that title back. So in the MVP lounge, after Bobby Lashley was introduced as the new champion, um, Lashley promised to get Apollo Crews back for attacking him afterward, but then Shelton Benjamin promised that he would put that he would put down the former U.S. champion on Raw Underground because they had a match on Underground. But then MVP addressed Alexander, who had walked out. But then instead of joining them, he revealed that he had brought some friends to assist him in the form of Vi the Viking Raiders. And then they got to fighting on the outside of the ring, which led to that six-man tag match. And it was definitely a back-and-forth clash, and it was definitely a different form of styles between the two because you have Cedric, who is a cruiserweight star. Um, and then you have the Viking Raiders, who are these big burly men who have so much power and will basically tackle you with the strength of a football player um, up against these power men in the hurt business. And it was still a really good match. Um and there was a back and forth but then cedric actually wound up winning the match after rolling up the og mvp and the hurt business you know applauded the victory but then were looking like sharks in water when they were looking at him and proceeded to attack him backstage some more so that was still interesting it's almost like they're low-key interested in him but then they low-key want to destroy him at the same time it was crazy then there was another number one contender qualifier match between seth rollins our Monday Night Messiah, who likes to stomp on people's heads, and <laughs> and Dominic Mysterio. I had to say stomp because earlier this week, somebody released a video montage of Seth Rollins doing the curb stomp to the song um, Stomp by Kirk Franklin and God's Property. And if you listen to gospel music, you, you know that stomp is like that jam, okay? And they showed Seth Rollins hitting curb stomp after curb stomp to the, to the chorus of the song that said stomp. Uh, all my people say stomp uh, it was just so funny but anyway um it's just so funny and then the fact that he's a monday night messiah and supposedly like this godlike figure or something or this jesus wannabe you know it was perfect but anyway um seth rollins got in murphy's face for costing them the tag team match between ray and dominic at payback and it was so sad to see because he was just telling him, you know, 
you need to go back to the ring and let me do this on my own because you can't and you need to get your head straight and all this other stuff like it was so sad to see Seth talk down to Murphy like that and because of the fact that Murphy he's so good as a wrestler because I've seen him live and all this other stuff like he's literally like the best kept secret WWE has you know he's a former cruiserweight champion and all of that and he's a former NXT tag team champion like he deserves better than to be talked down to by Seth Rollins and his wannabe Jesus thing and just hush like I can't wait till he actually turns on him and he slapped him as he was walking away in the back of his head and that triggers me <laughs> Like, I cannot stand it when people do that to you. It's just like you regular walking away after, you know, a confrontation and then you hitting me as I'm walking away. Uh-uh, because get gone. Anyway, um, Seth Rollins took advantage in this contest, but Dominic Mysterio was fighting back like a committed underdog to a certain degree. Like, watching Dominic fight with the confidence of a person who's been wrestling for, like, maybe even three years is just a astonishing to see. And it's just really wonderful. And I was really rooting for him to qualify to be a champion. Because can you imagine how upside down that would turn the wrestling world if he were to become WWE champion? That would have been amazing. But him versus Drew probably would have been a weird mismatch at this point in time due to their ability and also due to the fact that Drew is just a big dude. Like, it probably would have been weird. But at the same time, I was still rooting for him. But, you know, alas, Seth hit the stomp on Dominic um for the wind and he hit the stomp on him again as ray and the rest of his family his wife angie and sister Aaliyah, were looking in the back and it was just so sad but dominic is capable of big things so i'm not worried about him um in that regard at all so seth went on to qualify for the match so in the um main event for the qualifier you had seth rollins and keith lee so far and Randy Orton. So they're all going to fight in a triple threat at the end of the night. So you also had a tag match between the Street Profits and Andrade and Angel Garza. And the Street Profits were making fun of Andrade, Angel, and Zelina Vega. They even called Zelina Vega. The reason why Zelina is so angry all the time is because she, she's too short to go on a roller coaster. And they made it into a song. And it was like, too short for the roller coaster. Hey, too short for the roller coaster. And I was like, y'all so wrong for that. But anyway, um... So Andrade and Angel um, isolated Angel Do Angelo Dawkins in the ring. That's not his name. Angelo um, in the ring. And then Montez finally jumped into action after a little while to save his partner. And just as Montez was turning everything around for the good of the Street Profits, the lights went out and the retribution arrived. We still don't know who these people are <laughs> as it stands. And Garza, like I said earlier, ran away with Demi and left um, Andrade and Zelina to get beat up and that was so sad to see so we know that's gonna you know lead to some dissension in that group or maybe inevitably a breakup um so yeah that was just kind of interesting to see so this match was a no contest so nobody really won this match but I'm low-key kind of tired of seeing them two fight so yeah then Raw Underground happened and Marina Shafir and Jessamine Duke, two of the four horse women of MMA, you know, dominated and beat up the other girls in Raw Underground. And that was cool to see. And then Titus O'Neil 
wound up making his Raw Underground debut and he took out a pair of Performance Center wrestlers. But then Riddick Moss stepped up to him and they brawled until Moss went low and got a knockout. Which made me mad because I'm just like, if y'all gonna put Titus O'Neil on here, the least you can do is make him look more dominant and not have him get beat by somebody like Riddick Moss. But he did good, so it was nice to see him wrestle some more because he's always doing his philanthropy work. So it was good to see him wrestle. Um, then Apollo Crews um, walked in with Ricochet and Cedric Alexander to face Shelton Benjamin in Underground. But the brawl quickly broke down and the Hurt Business took out all three of them and then stood tall. So they're really, you know, pushing the Hurt Business to go forth and do all these, you know, and look like a dominant faction. And what's so funny is sometimes they do all this in suits or do all this in, you know, wrestling clothes and all of that. But they have no problem beating your behind regardless to what they're wearing. So, yep, the Hurt Business is just trying to destroy us all. <laughs> um... So now we're on to this match at the end of the night for the number one contendership to the WWE Championship between Randy Orton, Keith Lee, and Seth Rollins. And this match was really, really good. You saw all of their abilities, you know, come spring forth in this match. Um, you saw Seth and Randy trying to work so hard together to get rid of Keith Lee as the big guy and the biggest threat in the match. Um, and then, of course, you know, they subsequently turned on each other. But then Keith was just refusing to be denied in this whole thing. Like he threw Randy Orton across the ringside area and then focused on Seth Rollins. Like Lee even tried. Lee even turned the curb stomp into a spirit bomb only to take a surprise RKO. And then Orton pinned Seth Rollins to take the win and what i found interesting about this is, is it's, it's sort of easy to get lost in the fact that keith lee didn't win this contendership but you also have to understand that randy orton did not pin keith lee he he pinned seth rollins so this still makes keith lee look strong um as a new talent and it sort of still gives this air of competitorship between orton and keith lee that maybe one day they'll still fight again after um after Randy Orton gets through fighting Drew for the WWE title. So it was still a, a was, it was a relatively good show. So there's really only up to go from here with that. So that's the end of the Raw recap. And now we're going to go to NXT. Okay, so we're going to recap NXT, which was on a Tuesday this time. Um, please know that from now on until they announce differently, NXT is going to be on Tuesdays now because USA is having their, um, their hockey league playoffs on Wednesdays. So just know that next week is coming on on Tuesday. So they had a super Tuesday program going on. Now with the women, you had a segment which involved Tegan Knox talking about her friendship or at least former friendship with Candice LeRae. Um, even though... Um, Candice LeRae, who's turned heel now, is, you know, being negative and talking about, um, how, talking about what she deserves and all this stuff in the Gargano way. Um, Tegan Knox wants to sit down with a glass of wine and, you know, reconcile their friendship. So, T so Candice LeRae had a match with Casey Catanzaro. And even though Casey, 
you know, who has definitely gotten better and improved more and more in the ring, especially her with um, with Caden Carter and their tag team work. Um, she was teasing and upset throughout this match, even though LeRae refused to let her like pull one off on her. She trapped Casey Kanzara on a surfboard and then stomped her into the mat for the victory. And that was very rough looking. Like she looked like she was about to put her in a whole surfboard submission, but then she stomped on her on her back. And I was like, God dang, it was just kind of rough. So after that match ended, um, Candace grabbed a microphone and told Knox that she wanted to talk about things one-on-one -on -one and offered her an invitation to her house. Now this smells like a setup, but we'll see. Um, so that's really all that really happened with the women. Um, outside of, I believe, maybe Mercedes Martinez talking about how she's going to beat up Rhea Ripley in their cage match. So that's really all that happened with the girls. So... NXT actually started with a street fight between Legado del Fantasma and the new NXT tag team champions Brizongo and Isaiah Swerve Scott. And Legado del Fantasma started fighting like really early, trying to take down Brizongo and Swerve. But it was just like this match was like all kinds of fast action going because you, of course, you have your cruiserweights in Swerve Scott and, um, Legado, well, in Legado del Fantasma, and to a certain degree, Santos es Escobar, too. And it was just like, they were kind of all over the place, beating each other up with all kinds of weapons and stuff. You know, your regular street fight madness. Um, there was even an amazing point where um, Fandango and Swerve jumped off of a forklift onto Legado del Fantasma into the ring, and that was really cool. Um, then there was a point where where legato del fantasma like would, would take over but then what happened was imperium in the form of marcel bartel and fabian eichner came out to help them and all of them were just beating up on tyler breeze until fandango and swerve brought like jumped off of the forklift onto them and then Breezango cleared the ring to set up um, Swerve to hit the JML driver on Escobar to win the street fight, which means that now Swerve Scott has momentum going in their feud. So hopefully he'll get another shot at the Cruiserweight Championship again. Um, this match was really good. It was all over. It was all over the place. But when it's a street fight, there's really not not that much, you know, order order to it like it is a regular match. So it was good. It was a nice start to the show. Then you had Timothy Thatcher versus Bronson Reed, which is so funny because I believe this this was the same night I found out that um, the Jobber Series podcast, um, shout out to them, I love them, um, admitted that they didn't know that Timothy Thatcher was straight up from like California and I didn't know either because I thought he was from like NXT UK or something like I thought he legit was from the United Kingdom, but as it turns out, he's American. <laughs> so there um we we all learn things <laughs> so as this was going on Bronson Bronson Reed basically dominated the match and now in his entrance he's no longer being known as the thick boy which upsets me because I actually like that but it's okay he wants to be taken more seriously but then and then it was so funny that Timothy Thatcher, you know, with all of his, you know, brawling and strong style that he has, he didn't have that much of an answer for um, the mix of strength and athleticism that um, Bronson Reed had. He's been very intense, you know, since his ladder match for the North American title. However, Austin Theory popped back up 
and he interfered in the match and then planted Reed, you know, and then threw him back in the ring for Thatcher to win the match with the Fujiwara armbar. And I was just like, where you been at? Because at one point, Austin Theory was on NXT, but then he got bumped up because, of course, Zelina Vega, you know, picked him out to be a part of that little faction that she had with Angel and Andrade and Austin, the three A's. But <laughs> he... I guess he got injured or something and then he disappeared off television for a long time and now he's back in NXT so maybe this is for the best um but then I but then there was a moment where during my women's segment I did forget to say this but Rhea Ripley had challenged Mercedes Martinez to a street to a steel cage match also so that's gonna take place so that's gonna be awesome so the night ended around the the night ended with the main event between Finn Balor, Tommaso Ciampa, um, Adam Cole, and Johnny Gargano for the NXT Championship in an Iron Man match. And I hadn't really seen an Iron Man match in like so long. I think the last one I saw was between Charlotte Flair and Sasha Banks at Roadblock a couple of years back for the Raw Women's title. This was during their whole saga in which they were tossing the title back and forth with each other. But the Iron Man match was still good, though. And it's just been a while since I've seen one of these matches. So I was really glad when they actually had the scoreboard on the bottom of the screen because it reminded me that whoever had the most falls out of the match would win. Um, so I like that they sort of space out when they have their Iron Man matches because it lets them it lets the audience know that it's very special, which it is because, you know, they're really rare. So, this match, you know, lasted from, like, at least 8 o'clock to 9, but it was still really good. You know, they were all just hitting the best on each other in order to get different falls. And as the match was about to come to a head, there was one minute left on the clock with no additional falls in the contest. It was like Tommaso Ciampa was the one with the least amount of falls out of all of them over a certain point. Um, and they were just on each other with all of their different moves with the black heart, with the coup de gras and the last shot. Like it was just like a greatest hits between these guys. And it was still really good. So the match wound up ending with um Finn Balor and Adam Cole being the last two standing you know with with the falls and everything and they were wondering you know because as the clock ran out it almost looked as if Adam Cole had won the match but that wasn't the case so William Regal the general manager came out and said that Finn Balor and Adam Cole would face off one-on-one -on -one next week for the NXT championship so now we have a sudden death situation um he didn't say that it was going to be continue to be an Iron Man match stipulation, but basically in this situation, it would be sudden death. So Tommaso and Johnny Gargano are out of this equation, I guess, because who knows, they might pop up and try to interfere or something like that. And now it's just Finn and Adam Cole. And we're going to be in for a good match for those two. So next Tuesday, we have those two for the NXT title. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit hesitant when they announced the, um, the Fatal 4-Way Iron Man match between those four because as much as I understand that they are like you know the tent poles and the armor bearers of NXT it's just the fact that I felt weird because they had all held the NXT titles at some point um and I was just like you know a part of me wanted like some new blood to be thrown in there 
um, to a certain degree because it would give an air of hunger to it. But, you know, I guess they're just going with who can, you know, just be the standard face, of course, you know, who's dependable until, of course, Karrion Cross recovers. And then whoever Karrion Cross faces in that regard for that title, it'll still be a good match regardless because all four of those guys are amazing. So I'm, I was a little bit hesitant about it, but then the match just changed my mind and it was really good. So next week, NXT on Tuesday. And now we're going to go to a special SmackDown, which took place on last night, which was my 27th birthday. I had a birthday SmackDown, y'all. Stay tuned. Okay, so now we're going to do this weekly recap for SmackDown, which took place last night on my birthday. SmackDown is one of my favorite wrestling shows. And the fact that we got such a good, meaty, filling episode of SmackDown on that day just made me feel so good inside. Um, yesterday was a good day in general. But the fact that a good SmackDown happened, too, was just like, yay! So... <laughs> We gonna start with the women and girl, boy, person. Mm, it was a lot. <laughs> so something interesting I'm gonna talk about with the women that's taking place now is the unraveling of Alexa Bliss. Um, after her encounter with the Fiend, it's like now she has her hair in like pigtails and she's developing locks in her hair, and which is kind of similar to the locks that Bray Wyatt has in his hair and she had a segment with Nikki Cross and she made up with her and hugged her and said you know everything's fine and all of the above and then you know Alexa ran away but then Nikki was still looking kind of concerned that maybe Alexa isn't in her right mind and then I also watched Talking Smack um from last night as well and as it turns out she had a segment on Talking Smack with Xavier and Kayla with Xavier Woods and Kayla Braxton and she was there for her interview and was talking about how she hadn't seen Xavier in such a long time. But then as he asked about, you know, the encounter with Bray Wyatt, because he knew what it was like to have an encounter like that from a few years ago, she went blank and then proceeded to say goodbye after the interview had ended. So Alexa Bliss is unraveling, guys, but it's still interesting to see because... In the light on SmackDown, Bray Wyatt proceeded to talk about how there's supposed to be a special guest coming to the Firefly Funhouse next week. So is it going to be her? Like, who knows? But she's definitely unraveling. But yeah, now to talk about the big, 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 big story that happened with the women last night. We had a rematch for the um, for the women's tag team titles between Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax versus Sasha Banks and Bayley. And basically, Bayley and Sasha wanted to regain their titles, you know, and Sasha had said, you know, before their match, that they were still, you know, best friends. And she was all, you know, I didn't need, you know, anything, <laughs> you know, she didn't need to worry about anything because Bailey and her were going to win those titles back and all that other stuff. So the champions were dominating the early portion of the match. They kept ragdolling um, the golden role models. There was a point where they 
where Shayna and Nia both kind of just took them and just ran them into the barricade and stuff and shaking each other. And they isolated Bailey and then they were cutting the ring off from her. And then as Bailey was able to tag in Sasha Banks, Sasha wound up giving them like heck on earth. But then Bailey joined in for like a stunner powerbomb that left Nia on the floor. And then Banks scored a near fall on Baszler off of a running knee. And then that same knee turned out to be her downfall because Shayna Baszler proceeded to attack her knee after she was after um Sasha ran into she tried to hit another running knee into Shayna, but Shayna moved out of the way and Sasha ran her knees into the ring post. And then Shayna proceeded to attack it over and over again viciously. It's an age-old move in wrestling, really, where you attack an injured part of the of your opponent's body. But the way that Shayna did it, it was so vicious that you would have thought that she was trying to like break her knee for real. It was bad. Like she kept hitting all kinds of chops and everything, and then tried to hit a submit and hitting like leg submissions to bend her knee a certain way. She was stepping on her on the lower part of her leg. Like y'all, it was bad. Um, <laughs> like it was really bad. Like for a second, I thought for sure, like maybe Banks is just getting hurt. Like, I was just like, not my baby, no. But um, oof, it was bad. And then she tried to lock Banks in a Muda lock, and then tried to tap Bailey out at the same time, like she did at Payback. But then Bailey delivered a Bailey to Bailey, you know, to a near fall. And they and they stayed in the fight until Nia jumped up to the top of uh, jumped up on the top rope and let and hit a splash onto the both of them and covered them for the one two three allowing them to retain their women's tag team titles now with that loss honey <laughs> after that loss happened the paramedics came out there to try to check on sasha after she'd been hurt and then bailey was just sort of you know pretending to be like oh well you know is she okay is she okay she doesn't need y'all you know because Sasha kept trying to push him back I was like I don't need y'all I don't need y'all and then Bailey was pretending like she was trying to help her out and then she brought her to the ring apron and as she brought her to the ring apron she proceeded to kick the crap out of Sasha and she was beating her up and yelling at her and just beat her up and injured her some more injured her legs some more like slammed her head like it was so bad like she was attacking her knee like she just brutalized the crap out of her and it was so funny that in the night that earlier in that night I was talking to my boyfriend about somehow sometimes I really miss hugger Bailey well it looks like the universe heard what I said and said look honey say goodbye to your hugger Bailey feelings because she is gone <laughs> she is gone she's not coming back evil Bailey is here and it was so funny because when Bailey first turned heel they didn't believe that she could be a credible heel well now she did it and what's so funny is is throughout this entire time while Bailey and Sasha have been you know partners people have always been insinuating that it was going to be Sasha to turn on Bailey because she was pretending to be the devoted best friend and she would always have like her glances at Bailey where she was angry at Bailey, you know, for not being there as much as Sasha was there for her to help her win her titles. Because Bailey has been falling short of being her friend each and every time for her Raw Championship match, for the Tag Team Championship match. Bailey had been failing her as a friend and Bailey knew it. But I guess because Bailey knew it, 
she decided to turn on Sasha because now she feels like, well, she's a threat to me now. So she turned on her. She beat her up. She put Sasha's head in between a chair and stomped on it. So now her neck is injured. Like she just left. She just ragged all the mess out of Sasha. She dog walked Sasha. It was so bad. And then the paramedics came again and just rolled her out, you know, on a stretcher. And that was the last we saw of Sasha. And it was so sad. <laughs> but it was so good because I finally got what I wanted. Because now that Bailey has turned on Sasha, I can get what I've been begging for for years. Which was for them to fight in a good white hot feud. Because I've been begging for them to fight since the first time they fought each other. At NXT TakeOver and it was great. So I'm ready for them. So going back to the men on SmackDown. This show started with Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman coming out there. And this definitely established Roman Reigns as a heel officially. Because a lot of people online and on social media weren't necessarily sure. But what it also did was that it added some meat and potatoes with some bread to um, Roman Reigns' new character in the form of Paul Heyman coming out there and talking about um, how it's going to be now. Paul Heyman was discussing how Roman Reigns pulled him back into the fray because he got, you know, put into irrelevancy as a, I guess insinuating what happened between him and Brock Lesnar with Brock Lesnar becoming a free agent now and he said the big dog corrupted him and that Paul Heyman didn't corrupt Roman Reigns he said that Reigns was tossed aside into the abyss of obscurity and instead of being thanked for his tireless efforts through a life-threatening illness he was disrespected and he criticized the Fiend and Braun Strowman and said they can't be champions because they're not capable of reigning like Roman, giving credence to like the last name of Roman Reigns. He was basically saying that a Fiend, you know, has fiendish behavior and can't be a champion and can't be, you know, put out there as a champion and a monster can't be put out there as a champion either. He was alluding to Roman Reigns as a family man, as a possible movie star, like giving his marketability as also a Samoan dynasty member. Like he was giving all the reasons as to why Roman Reigns, along with his look, is the perfect champion to represent, you know, the brand of WWE from a corporate standpoint. And it was very interesting to hear. And he said, my name is Paul Heyman and I serve as the special counsel for the tribal chief, your reigning, defending, undisputed universal heavyweight champion, Roman Reigns. Paul Heyman could sell anything. He could sell a cheap Fruit Loops pillow. <laughs> like he could sell anything and sound like, a legend like he's such an OG I love him and then Roman Reigns said I don't care who my opponent is going to be when you have this sort of power all you have to do is show up and win and it was just so good like I feel like these are like the greatest this is probably going to be the greatest heel run of Roman Reigns career and I'm so excited for it also with the men you had Heavy Machinery versus John Morrison in The Miz and this match was pretty 
I guess standard, and I guess now they're sort of fighting for who's going to be in the next and uh, next in line for the tag team title picture. Now that Lucha House Party sort of out of the running for it now, so Tucker and Otis were building momentum, you know, heading into you know the commercial break, and then Morrison and Miz, you know, isolated Tucker during the break, but then Otis exploded into a match, you know, sparking like a whole comeback or whatever, and. Otis wound up pinning the Miz to win the match but then after the match was over John Morrison stole the money in the bank briefcase and um and I don't know what he was trying to do but later on that night the Miz told him you know if you steal the money in the bank briefcase that doesn't make you Mr. Money in the Bank right and then John Morrison opened the case and as it turns out it was lunch in there like all kinds of meats and sandwiches and stuff and then the Miz was telling him not to eat the sandwich. I guess he's sort of, you know, being that good friend that's telling you all the stuff that you shouldn't eat. Because he's like this muscular dude. Don't eat a carb. But anyway, <laughs> what can I say? I eat all the carbs. Anyway, um, <laughs> then Otis outsmarted him by putting the contract in his Money in the Bank lunchbox, which was really cute. Um, so that's going to be interesting um, to see in terms of the tag title picture. And then Sami Zayn came out and um, berated Greg Hamilton, the ring announcer, for not calling him the Intercontinental Champion because, of course, he never really lost the championship. He only got stripped from it because he didn't come back, you know, during the time of which WWE moved to the Performance Center during the start of the pandemic. And then Jeff Hardy interrupted and then AJ Styles interrupted them. And then they all, you know, went through a brawl or whatever. But then Zayn got the last laugh after hitting his halluva kick. And then he stood tall, you know, overjoyed over everything that turned out because he feels like he's the rightful IC champion. You know, Jeff feels like he's the rightful IC champion. And AJ Styles just wants to beat them both so he can get the IC championship back. So that was interesting. And then the night ended with the Fatal 4-Way to earn a universal championship opportunity at Clash of Champions between Sheamus, um, Matt Riddle, and Baron Corbin. And it was supposed, and, it, and since it was a fatal four-way, it was supposed to be Big E, but he got attacked by Sheamus backstage and crashed and, and hit him. And he wound up hitting a, the white noise on him into a car so he wound up having multiple lacerations earlier in the night and he wasn't able to participate in the match so he got replaced with with jay uso of the usos which was really a cool turn for him because his brother's injured you know what else is he gonna do you know and earlier in the night he was trying to connect with roman reigns who's his cousin in real life and sort of talk to him you know even as stuff has changed with roman reigns being more of a heel personality and you know, he talked to him backstage saying, you know, I got this opportunity and I can't wait and all this other stuff. And Roman is giving off the impression that he doesn't truly take Jay seriously as a contender for the title. So but then he told him good luck anyway. So this match was pretty good, you know, going forward. Um, they didn't waste any time at all. They went to fighting like immediately like um, Jay Uso attacked Baron Corbin with a super kick at the opening bell. Um, Corbin recovered and then dominated a little bit until there was a slow count and took his focus off the competition and put it on the referee because you know he's the king he's got a fuss at somebody you know because it's never his fault um and it cost him and Seamus you know hit him you know heading into the commercial break and then Matt Riddle fired up and then and then fought off Baron Corbin before 
you know, getting beat up by Seamus. And then Seamus applied a Cloverleaf, but then Jay Uso blasted him with a super kick. And then there was another point where he was acting like Oprah because he was all, you get a super kick. You get a super kick. You get a super kick. And then Corbin actually sent Uso flying into the stands with the fans and the screen and whatever. And then Sheamus surprised him with a bro kick. And then Matt Riddle hit Sheamus with a bro to sleep. And then Uso came out of nowhere with um and finished off Matt with a top rope splash. And then Jay Uso cut a promo after he had won the match and became the number one contender to the Universal title. And he welcomed Roman Reigns to the Uso Penitentiary come on on um clash of champions in a few weeks this is really interesting because i'm really glad to see that someone like him could have this opportunity because all we've ever seen the usos do is just tag team stuff and they've been one of the best tag teams wwe has ever seen and they have a lot to be proud of in terms of that so to actually see one of them have like a singles title run will just it's just really cool so we'll see how this goes. It's going to be family versus family. So we'll see how interesting this is going to be. So this was a really great SmackDown, guys. And you could tell even on Talking Smack, Jay Uso was very emotional about it because he's never he never saw himself. He said he's never seen himself as a singles champion before. So to see him get this opportunity still, it clearly means a lot to him. So I definitely recommend watching the episode of Talking Smack from this week. And also because you get to see Xavier Woods celebrate our birthday together. So <laughs> it was really good. So that's all for your weekly recap. And now we're just going to go to the conclusion. Okay, so thank you for listening to this episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Um, a lot of good stuff has happened in the realm of the podcasting world. Um, I have an interview this weekend with Derek Gamble of Rap and Wrestle. We're going to talk about um, wrestlers and different rap artists and how you know what and what those personalities are like um, in terms of that and then I have an interview next week that I will be posting with um, independent superstar Promise Braxton and since it'll be the 25th episode of my podcast she'll be the first female guest and I'm so excited about that so please check that out check this episode out you know if you want to listen to more episodes of this podcast please listen on um youtube listen on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcast please listen to it and share it share like and subscribe to it and all of the above so i can get these numbers up <laughs> please and um and then yesterday i had a really good birthday you know so there's just so much going on and i'm just really glad that i'm i've lived long enough to start this thing and share my love for wrestling with you guys and in this way and I'm just really grateful for everything that I have at this point of my life and I just and I'm just excited about the future what the future holds for me personally and what the future holds for this podcast as well because it's going to be big um so <laughs> um like I said listen to it and subscribe and like it wherever you can um everywhere and if you have any wrestling questions for me, don't hesitate to contact me on my social media. Remember, you can follow the podcast page at Hardy Wrestling Podcast on Instagram and at Hardy WrestlePod on Twitter. 
and officially the name has been changed to the hardy wrestling podcast because um that's what i call it all the time anyway so to make it easier we'll just call it that so with that in mind i thank you so much for listening to me so far and also if you want me to talk about more things outside of wrestling you know if you want to tell me that you know don't hesitate to tell me that either so with that in mind i thank you so much for listening to this um show of mine and i hope that you're having a fantastic labor day weekend and that you're having fun and being safe and you know just loving on yourself and celebrating yourself because at the end of the day joy is what's going to get us through all right see y'all later bye